You're listening to The Sport Market, the stock market of sport. Here's your host, Tom Mayonect. Big weekend for curling, the Scotty's Tournament of Hearts in its final couple of days. And what a week it's been for women's curling. All kinds of playoffs and tiebreakers. A four-year run coming to an end. And some of the biggest influencers, some of the biggest curling personalities in women's history, all part of the action this weekend. It's also a biggie for rugby with the Rugby World Sevens at BC Place in Vancouver. About 70,000 people expected over the course of the weekend for what is not just competitive rugby international caliber, but it's a party. It is real special stuff. And the sevens game is such an important marketer for full roster rugby, full field rugby, that the success in Vancouver and elsewhere on the World Rugby Sevens Tour is good for the sport, period. It's a big hockey night in Canada weekend. The Boston Bruins on the West Coast playing the Cold Vancouver Canucks. This is the first dry patch of their season. Bruins and Canucks go into this Hockey Night in Canada matchup on Sportsnet with 80 points apiece. Bruins have a game in hand, and it makes it even that much more important. Not as if you have to make a game between the Bruins and the Canucks or the Bruins and the Leafs any and the Bruins and the Habs, for that matter any more important than it already is, but certainly stakes high for the Canucks as they want to snap their four-game losing streak. And for the Bruins, who also haven't been playing gun blazers, they haven't been playing their best hockey either. Austin Matthews has been 50th goal of the campaign on target for a remarkable number of 70. Tino Farah in the producer's chair. Tino, does this get a sort of hockey fan like you, you're focused, of course, on other teams, but when it comes to the Leafs and someone potentially scoring 70 goals, does that move the needle for you as as a fan of the game? Without a doubt it does. It's funny, I was just having this conversation recently uh, with somebody where, I mean, I'll get back to Austin Matthews in just a sec here, but I was talking about how I'm getting really sad about the idea that we're very close to the end of the Alex Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby era and how I don't think enough people in present day are uh, really acknowledging the fact that we have watched continued greatness for well over a decade and it's slowly coming to a close. So now going back to Austin Matthews, to be able to see something like this that has the potential of being historic, I mean, he's already putting himself into the category or has put himself into the category of arguably one of the greatest goal scorers of all time, certainly in the Leafs uh, specific category. I think it's fascinating to be able to watch somebody continue to inch closer and closer to breaking records. He is Tino Fair. I'm Tom Manick. We're both happy to have you along for the ride. Uh, our opening bell commentary earlier this weekend focused on the lawsuits in Canadian soccer. There's more than one of them. Uh, certainly so important for that to get resolved sooner rather than later. You don't want to burn up a lot of this 
golden growth time of these two years leading to the FIFA 2026 World Cup. And talking about legal predicaments, the NCAA is in a jam as a result of Friday's decision in the courts of Tennessee and Virginia to put a pause on guidelines governing name, image, and likeness. So you've essentially not only got a wild, wild west now, you've got a wild, wild mess. There is no guidelines that are currently enforceable by the NCAA when it comes to NIL. And it's so ironic because earlier this week, EA Sports proudly unveiled its campaign of, or at least a boilerplate campaign to as many as 11,000 college football players in the United States has set aside almost $7 million U.S., uh, for the project where they were giving $600 plus a, a copy of the game to those who allow their name, image, and likeness to be used. Now, of course, that and everything else, not just in, te- in Tennessee and Virginia, but across the country is up in the air. Now, don't want to say I have all the answers, but the NCAA has been so slow moving in this transition from student athlete to uh, athlete employee that they're now getting called out and caught between these rocks and hard places. Uh, This is going to be a big story in college sport, period. Uh, Not just college football and college basketball, but across the board, uh, you know, over the course of this year. And the way the NCAA wriggles out of this will be fascinating to watch because they've got to be very careful given their antitrust exemptions and the like. Let's check out our podium. Now, with the top three sports business stories of the week, here's the Sport Market Podium, funded by Alpine Credits. Own your home and need a loan? Homeowners get approved. Apply now at alpinecredits.ca. For background on the stories, go to thesportmarket.biz. In the bronze medal position, a number three sport business story of the week, a record U.S. betting volume for calendar 2023, $120 billion, according to the American Gaming Association. That's the amount of money that was spent by wagers on their wagers in calendar 2023. That's a 27.8% increase year over year, and it's really across the country, not only in Tennessee. State data shows that in December of 2021, Tennesseans wagered nearly $342 million on mobile sports bets. That number jumped to $495 million this past December. Now, as WVLT Tennessee reports there, that's just for the state of Tennessee. Add up Tennessee and the now almost 40 states across the country where single event sports betting is now legal and you've got yourself 119.8 billion dollars it's going to continue to grow uh, especially as more states come online but also more revenue streams and platforms get engaged on the sports betting side of things. In the silver medal position, our number two sport business story of the week, Major League Soccer kicks off with Lionel Messi in the spotlight. He's played 14 matches. He's also had a remarkable, he's already had a, a big impact on Major League Soccer, its brand, not only in North America, but globally. Now, 
Inter-Miami will have a full season of Messi, and that's good news not only for Inter-Miami CF, it's a good news for the other 27 franchises. Messi accelerates away from Kaliskan. Still Messi, Suarez, and Gomez! Check it out. Major League Soccer season tickets have increased their sales by 15% year over year. Season ticket revenue is up 25%. And make no mistake, Lionel Messi coming to town is driving sales, season ticket sales and half-season ticket sales in those markets. Preseason sales are up seven times year over year. You've got big players increasing their investment in Major League Soccer and related properties. J.P. Morgan uh, coming on board. They're going to call the home of Inter-Miami CF uh, Chase Field, 21,500 capacity. And Messi's Inter-Miami CF goes from $600 million valuation, according to Forbes, to $1.05 billion. Uh, a lot more on that to come later this hour. But in the gold medal position, our number one sport business story of the week, the NFL salary cap is up to $255.4 million. That is a doubling of the salary cap in the NFL in the last decade alone, and it's an unprecedented year-over-year growth of $31.4 million. It was originally thought that the NFL salary cap for 2024 was going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $243 million. Then Mike Florio reported a couple of days ago that the salary cap could increase to $250 million. Well, it's going up to $255 for 2024 as business continues to be booming for the National Football League. And you know what's crazy? The popularity of this game growing, but how much the salary cap has been on the uptick just in recent years. As recent as 2016, the salary cap was $155 million. Here we are in 2024, 255 mil. So for teams that are a little bit cash-strapped, they now have 12 more million dollars than they originally thought. This is big for the San Francisco 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles, two teams that I cover. As uh, Chase Sr. of uh, uh, Chat Sports talking about the NFL salary cap, it's our gold medal story on the sport market podium funded by Alpine Credits. Check this out. If this sentence doesn't define where the NFL is at as a juggernaut in the business of sport, nothing will. With that salary cap of $255.4 million, with their player expenses of $255.4 million, Every NFL team starts without selling a single ticket, a single hot dog, a single drink in the black. The national revenue check that the league will write each of its 32 franchises is projected to be north of $400 million. Right there, you've already got $150 million of gravy. And that's before any NFL franchise has sold a single ticket has sold a single hot dog, parking, concessions, or local sponsorships. That is the definition of a license to print money. A license to have some fun is what Rugby World Sevens, World Rugby Sevens, is all about. 
We take you to BC Place in Vancouver. Gareth Reese of Rugby Canada next, talking about the Canada Rugby Sevens. You're listening to The Sport Market. Once again, here's your host, Tom Manette. I've seen the trend now. I've seen the trend for years. What's the trend? The trend is always making excuses. Get Doc, we get it. Taking over a team in the middle of the season is hard. It's hard. We get it. Just like getting traded in the middle of the season is hard for a player. We get it. But it's always an excuse. It's always throwing your team under the bus. They lose to Memphis. Oh, it's his players. Memphis was playing G League guys and two-way guys. And you look at his quotes over the weekend. Now he wants to take credit for the James Harden trade to the Clippers working out. He wants credit for that. There's just no. There's never accountability with that guy. There's never accountability. JJ Redick going off on new Milwaukee Bucks coach Doc Rivers, who's got himself in quite a predicament. And you know, if I was Doc's agent or mentor, I would be saying, "Hey, look." Focus on the job at hand, which is getting more wins than losses for the Milwaukee Bucks. Leave some of the off the record and on the record flower. Leave that to the time when you've righted the ship. I've always been someone who questions mid-season coaching changes. I think they fail as often as they work. Now, there's some examples, Chris Knobloch of the Edmonton Oilers in the National Hockey League this year, where you can't, you can't deny that there's been a completely different approach by those Oilers since. That one seems to have worked out, at least in a big way so far. Yeah. But for the Milwaukee Bucks to be 3-7 and seven in the last 10, that's not a time for Doc Rivers to be doing what he does. He's such a friendly guy. He's got a lot of good relationships with the media. But right now, it's got to be more of a focus on business. There's a party focus. It's a business focus, yes, but a party focus on what's happening at BC Place Stadium in Vancouver this weekend. It is the... Canada Rugby Sevens uh, telecast in over 90 countries around the world. And someone who is uh, ringside for the event, as he always has been, Canadian international rugby star Gareth Reese of Rugby Canada. Gareth, this weekend is always something special on the rugby calendar, uh, not only uh, for those living in Vancouver and in British Columbia, but for fans across the country and around the world. What has made the growth of Rugby Sevens uh, so notable in your eyes? Well, thanks, Tom. It's great to be with you, and it's a pretty exciting weekend out here in Vancouver. But as you said, for all of Canada... We started yesterday, Friday, uh, all day with a couple rounds of matches, and uh, it'll go right through to Sunday night. But uh, Rugby Sevens is a, is a great version of our game. It's high action, lots of scoring. It's the version that's in the Olympic Games, uh, where our women's team have already qualified, so that's great news. And all the teams here in Vancouver will be at the Olympics. So uh, it's exciting, but it's also a festival atmosphere. They're, they're eight-hour days, and um, everyone comes in costumes, and you can bring the family, you can have a few drinks, you can have some hospitality. So... In terms of the business, it's, it's a really great model. Um, the only thing to like close to it, I, I think, to give your listeners um, an idea is maybe Formula One. There's eight stops around the world, and Vancouver's the fourth right in the middle. Um, the likes of Dubai, Hong Kong, they were in Perth last event. They'll end up in Madrid. Uh, so we just screwed all around the world, and Vancouver is very proud to be one of the stops, and it's huge for Canadian rugby. 
Would it be fair to say that Rugby Sevens has become a strategic priority for Rugby Canada, both on the pitch in terms of team and athlete development and off the pitch in terms of business development, just because of how attractive the TV and all of the commercial aspects of this version of rugby is? Yeah, there's no question, uh, especially in terms of the business of, of sport. Uh, we know sort of the trends, and, and your listeners will know that the, the festival, the entertainment aspect of sport is such a big thing. When we saw the NBA All-Star Game, crying out loud, they were trying everything, and it was uh, some of it was great, some of it was annoying for the purists, but that's kind of what Rugby Sevens is for, for rugby as a global game. Um, new fans coming to the game, new families in Canada. Uh, you don't need a ton of understanding to, to watch and enjoy a game. And you're going to support Canada if you're Canadian. The Americans are over the border. You've got teams like Fiji and Argentina and New Zealand who do their famous hawk-up. You've got all these great cultural aspects. So if you're bringing the young families, you're just sort of hit with all these different um, forces. So that's a big part of it. It's not a, a boring old English white person game, which is what rugby was for many, many years. So that's side of it. And the business model, being part of one of eight stops on the World Series, really is huge for Canada. Um, people know it as a destination event. All over North America, people are traveling to Vancouver this weekend. So it's, um, it's a big part of the business model. And obviously, as a sport, we can give back to our market, to our landlords here, Pabco, the province of BC, Ken Critney and his team. Um, so we can make it work as a sport. And, and it's been hugely important to grow the sport and keep young kids active and get new people involved playing sport. How important for Rugby Canada, Gareth, is the television reach of this event, not only here in Canada, but 90 countries around the world? Yeah, well, all your, again, your listeners that know the business of sport know you need to get eyes on partners and friends that come along for the ride. So we can do that not only globally, as you've mentioned, and it's a pretty incredible number, um, but also within Canada. And it's also a very strong place to bring clients and, and take up hospitality because you've got, rather than just a two- or three-hour window of a football game or a basketball game, you've got a whole day where you can actually spend time with clients. And uh, so that side of it's been really positive for us and, and a great opportunity for our partners to, uh, to engage and activate. We're talking to Gareth Reese of Rugby Canada, former Canadian international, uh, now heavily involved on the business side of things for Rugby Canada, coming to us from BC Place in Vancouver. Uh, Gareth, who are the countries to watch for above and beyond our own Canadian entries uh, on these last two days of the Rugby uh, uh, Canada Sevens? Well, I'll tell you a story. It's been uh, in the rugby world, it's been a huge story. Um, the French are here. They're obviously hosting the Paris 24 Olympics, where Sevens is, is a, the, one of the main sports. Um, a big numbers, big ticket sales already. But they have brought Antoine Dupont, who is, uh, is one of their greatest players. Probably the most famous player in the world, if you think um, Austin Matthews or Conor McDavid, depending on what market you're in, I guess. But um, he is the most famous rugby player in the world, and he's chosen to play sevens rugby. He wants to get to the Paris Olympics. So he made his first appearance yesterday on the field at BC Place. Um, there's over 20 French journalists here. The French national television have picked it up, and they're running the games. So, again, for Vancouver, for our market, we're getting seen in places like that. And that's a big story this weekend. They're obviously ones to watch. The Argentinians, who have won the last two times we played in Vancouver, are amazing. They've got this group that has one eye on the uh, on the Olympics. And then this great story of Fiji. Fiji rugby, sevens rugby, is a passion down there. They've won the last two gold medals in Rio and Tokyo on the men's side. And um, <clears throat> incredibly important. And, of course, we have the top 12 women's teams here as well. So Australia are the favorites there. 
And uh, our Canadian girls are going to go try to fight for a medal here. And as you said, they've already booked their place at Paris 24 Olympics. So tons of storylines and stuff lot, uh, but great action all throughout and uh, really great entertainment. So also on TV and on World Rugby TV. So any of the fans want to tune in, it's, uh, it's good to, to get a taste of it and let you whistle. Gareth, we've got you just for another minute, but when it comes to the future of rugby, building on the success of events like uh, Rugby Sevens, uh, where does Rugby Canada go from here? What are the big rocks uh, in terms of athlete and sport development over the next uh, five to ten years? Yeah, it's getting expensive to prepare athletes, as a lot of people know. But what we've done, a new CEO in place, Nathan Bombries, uh, he's come in from 20 years of professional rugby in the U.K., and uh, has a really good understanding of managing and running pro teams and international sport. We've relaunched the Strat Plan um, that, that lays out what we want to do, and a big part of that is running successful, meaningful events. Um, the women, especially our women's 15 team, are a huge asset to us. We're bidding, and we're very close to getting at a world tournament, the top six nations in the world, um, this year. We've also got our men's team. We're playing uh, Scotland, one of the best teams in the world. That should be announced very soon, probably in eastern Canada. Uh, Ontario, a big uh, home for us, as well as the West Coast. And uh, so in terms of running meaningful events, for all the reasons we just outlaid with seven, not only is it a strong business proposition, but it's also a way to get new people viewing and and enjoying the game. So that's been our strategy, and that will be our goal. for Here's some announcements coming from us in the next few weeks about some big events that uh, we're proud to host here in Canada. Well, Gareth, congratulations and thank you uh, for uh, uh, giving us the update on uh, Canada Rugby Sevens for 2024. I know it's a big deal. Uh, uh, Carla Qualtro, Minister of Sport federally. Uh, Lana Popham, Minister of Tourism, Arts, Culture and Sport provincially. Uh, all part of the big cheerleaders of this event. Uh, best of luck the rest of the way. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Tom. Great to talk to you. He is Gareth Reese of Rugby Canada talking about the Canada Rugby Sevens at BC Place in Vancouver. Next up, it's our Bulls and Bears, the biggest winners and losers in the business of sport. You're listening to The Sport Market. The Sport Market, rating and debating the bulls and bears of sports business. I remember, uh, God, it was about six, seven years ago, and uh, he had J.D. Martinez, and Martinez was supposed to get close to $200 million. Dave Dabrowski is the Red Sox. Okay, here's five years at 110. Take or leave it. Never budged off the offer. And like only March, he had no choice but to take it. And I think just teams are, are being smart now and sitting back and saying, hey, there's no mystery teams, and like that. Yeah. Why bid against ourselves? Bob Nightingale on the Sportsnet Radio Network talking about the fact that there's still some high-priced, high-prize free agents on the marketplace. Of course, Scott Boros, one of those waiting it out. It's part of his mantra. It's part of his style. But as Nightingale mentions there, some of the teams are getting a little smarter in terms of, you know, why bidding against themselves. Of course, spring training underway, Grapefruit League, Cactus League underway. It'll only be a matter of time before the new MLB season is uh, up and Adam first week of April. We've got John Festinger, 
standing by to do some good, some bad, and some ugly. But first, we're going to check out the week's biggest winners and losers in the business of sport. It's time for the Bulls and Bears of sports business. Winners and losers in the business of sports. The fast-rising stocks and the ones who've fallen. With Major League Soccer kicking off its new regular season this weekend, the team's 27 franchises are all basking in the glow of Lionel Messi. Since the Argentines' arrival last year, Inter-Miami CF has increased in value on the Forbes rankings by a whopping 72%, up from U.S. $600 million to U.S. $1.02 billion. Elsewhere, there was more heat from Salt Lake City this week on the futures market, where Utah legislators proposing $900 million in state funds for a stadium designed to lure Major League Baseball to the city. All they need now is one of Rob Manfred's expansion franchises. Meanwhile, the hottest basement in the business of sport this weekend is that belonging to the Regina homeowner whose family recently made one of the greatest discoveries in trading card history. Of course, it's now a mainstream media story. They found an unopened case of 16 boxes from the 7980 OPG Hockey Collection, one which just so happens to include the famous Wayne Gretzky rookie card, the holy grail of hockey cards. Going into the weekend, of course, you're looking at north of $3 million Canadian dollars in terms of the auction bidding price by Heritage Auctions of Dallas, Texas. The real question is how many Gretzky rookies are among the 10,752 cards in the lot? Doing the math, of course, you got 48 packs made up of 14 cards each in each of the 16 boxes. Given there are 396 cards in the OPG set, experts are suggesting that even random math could produce 27 Gretzky rookie cards in the Regina Discovery, each of which could wind up being in play for at least six figures, if not seven and more. Remember, some Gretzky Gem Mint 10s have gone for north of $3 million. The key is how good shape is the cutting on these cards from 7980. And while we're on the Gretzky bull market, the two richest franchises in the National Hockey League, the $2.8 billion Toronto Maple Leafs and the $2.65 billion New York Rangers are also the two hottest in the league. The 32-16-8 Leafs have won six straight, while the 38-16-3 Rangers are on a nine-game heater. At the other end of the market this week are the Vancouver Canucks in our Bears of the Week with their bearish power play Away on leave, they're facing their first real bumpy patch of the season. Four consecutive losses that have knocked them out of first place overall in the NHL standings. That's what makes Hockey Night in Canada tonight. Boston at Vancouver, 280-point teams, Bruins with the game in hand as a pretty attractive offering in a number of offerings on the Hockey Night in Canada triple header. In the association, everything about NBA All-Star Weekend was strong except for the All-Star Game itself, a 211-186 to laugher for the East over the West. Now, on one hand, the game was so bad, there's no denying that. Having said that, there was a 20% climb in TV ratings, average U.S. viewership of 5.5 million uh, uh, in the uh, American audience, uh, that is still an all-star game number that most leagues would take, no questions asked. And 
In our Bears of the Week, there's plenty of work to do in Canadian soccer, not the least of which is dealing with the headline-making $40 million lawsuit filed on behalf of the Canadian women's national team against the 2018 Board of Directors of Canada Soccer. That adds to the litigation already underway in both directions between Canada Soccer Business and Media Pro. Now, Captain Obvious... It's incumbent upon all stakeholders to resolve their differences as elegantly as possible and unite behind the single biggest corporate opportunity the sport has ever had in Canada, co-hosting of the 2026 FIFA World Cup in Vancouver and Toronto. Those are our bulls and bears, the biggest winners and losers in the business of sport this week. We bring on board John Festinger of Chandler Fogden Lyman to do some good, some bad, and some ugly. And John, we're going to get into some of those other storylines later in the hour. But in the category of good, increased investment and presence in the business of sport by one of the leading tech companies on the planet. We're talking Apple. It announced the Apple Sports app this week. Uh, That's only going to bring everything from Apple TV to uh, other uh, uh, Apple software and hardware closer to sports fans, isn't it? Well, it is. But what we really have to note is Apple does everything thoughtfully and carefully and with a long lead time. So this has been planned. And you could you could even see it being planned, um, you know, from their gaming apps originally to getting MLB rights to getting MLS rights. Um, uh, and, and clearly they have a much larger plan because they don't get into anything just to do one thing. Uh, Think of Apple TV itself, you know, first a technology, then a channel. There is a larger, probably 20-year plan here, which we would all love to see. In the bad, and, you know, I'll, I'll give you the latitude to say this might be good practice in the business of sport as opposed to bad, but the court injunction came down uh, on Friday in the Supreme Court of Tennessee and Virginia versus the NCAA. Uh, NIL is basically being put on hold, which means the NCAA can't enforce anything in terms of guidelines. And the irony, John, is this comes the week that began with EA Sports announcing its NIL proposal to the uh, uh, 11,000 or more college football players south of the border, uh, setting aside about $6.67 million in honoraria. Each player getting 600 bucks plus a copy of the game. Now, that is paused along with everything, not just in Tennessee and Virginia, but across the country. How big of a mess is this for the NCAA and how could they not have been ahead of the curve on such a fundamental issue to their own survival? Well, you know, I'll be brief on this. The, the NC, we should not be surprised about the NCAA messing up legally because there's a history of this and, and certainly a history in these kinds of cases. Um, so that's not a surprise. Um, ultimately, uh, bad practice or good practice, probably good practice because the way this is going to resolve itself is going to be in favor of the athletes, in favor of the players ultimately. So yes, a little bit of pain, but I think ultimately there will be gain in the right way for the right people.
Uh, in the ugly category of the business of sport, uh, Adam Ruzicka of the Arizona Coyotes is a coyote no more. Inexplicably, inexplicably on his Instagram account, uh, he had basically what appears to be um, a bit of a personal cocaine party happening. Uh, John, whenever you hear a story like this, it's not it's it's past questionable judgment. There's really something going on that uh, uh, Rizuska uh, needs uh, uh, support with. But what what a shame of a story. And it's just so reckless and, 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 and casual. Uh, are we numb at these stories or where do we go from here? Well, you know, I, I don't think we're numb. Um, I, I, I think sort of quite the opposite because of social media. We have a fascination with these kinds of stories um, and, and privacy means less than it ever did. Uh, what What is so, you know, challenging is that we've got uh, these intersections of, um, you know, look at me culture um, that social media has brought. And so people are putting things on their Instagram posts, um, seemingly feeling it's normal to do so, to show off or to show yourself partying. That's become the norm. Uh, And you just wonder, like, how how do people not realize what's going on? How do they not have the self-discipline? Um, how do they not see what's going to happen? Uh, and, and the bottom line is this is not just an isolated incident. Uh, there are drug issues in the National Hockey League like there are in other sports. Um, you know, a, a different kind of drug issue, I think, in 2024 than maybe 20 years ago. But this does boil down to the NHL and the PA uh, not taking any chances, continuing to upgrade their educational efforts. Uh, Again, they can't control everything, but what they can control is making sure that the athletes know what the circumstances are and what the repercussions of any of this kind of uh, offside behavior, excuse the pun. Well, I'm I'm sure they try. I'm sure they have various lectures. Um, As something of an academic, I'll suggest that they have exams um, so that people actually pay attention. He is John Festinger. I'm Tom Mannett. We've got Tino Farah in the producer's chair. We're going to shift gears into some good penny stocks. Some of the smaller sport business storylines that can make it to the big board in the coming weeks and months. We'll check in with the penny stock from last week as well. NASCAR and the Daytona 500. And you probably already know the answer. Whenever you have a postponement and it throws TV schedules off, you're causing your TV rights holder all kinds of nightmares, all kinds of hurt. We'll get into that next with John Festinger, our penny stocks on the sport market. First, though, we're going to take a lighter side take on the business of sport. The Sport Market on Sportsnet 650 presents The Rolfson Report, the comedy of sport with Torben Rolfson. 
The NHL awarded its 2026 All-Star Weekend to UBS Arena, home of the New York Islanders. Wait a minute, I'm confused. I thought they were going to the Olympics February 6th, 22nd. Maybe they can go and play the game in Italy. Could be an outdoor game considering they haven't started construction on that arena yet. The Stadio Series. Great jersey retirement ceremony in Pittsburgh last Sunday for Yermer Jaeger. And he did it between shifts for his hometown Kladno team. His first game back in Europe was at Bratislava, which gave him the EHS tribute on a 1980s Jumbotron. NBA All-Star Game, East 211, West 186. That made the Harlem Globetrotters versus the Washington Generals look like the 2004 NBA Finals. Indianapolis, where America goes to play. The glitz, the glamour. But what goes in Indy stays in Indy. Except corn and soybeans. They export a lot of those. You've been listening to The Rolfson Report. The comedy of sport with Torben Rolfson. A special feature of the sport market. Listen again on the podcast and stay tuned Tuesdays at noon at facebook.com slash the sport market. You're listening to the sport market. Once again, here's your host, Tom Mayonecht. This became a kind of a unicorn of an opportunity to be in this building and and within this community with these partners, um, with the senators. National Lacrosse League Commissioner Brett Frude talking about the Ottawa Black Bears. Yes, formerly the New York Riptide, at least at the end of the season, they will make the rebranding and the relocation happening, putting them at Canadian Tire Centre and putting them downtown in Ottawa, the nation's capital, part of the NLL landscape. And uh, uh, nobody happier than uh, Tino Farah about that. Uh, You know, it's really unfortunate to see a league fail in any market and, and any league fail in any market, but it's been a few times now that Long Island and New York just haven't been sustainable pretty important for the league to be able to sustain its number of teams and have a quick fix that could be a long-term fix uh, in Ottawa. Yeah, so this is the first or sorry, the third iteration of New York Lacrosse that unfortunately hasn't really worked out in the in the box lacrosse game. Um, but going over to Ottawa, it, it's a really good opportunity for an area that has a really booming uh, lacrosse reach their minor program continues to put up unbelievable numbers their junior program it's it's actually an ongoing topic right now that uh, Nepean won't like, still isn't being given a junior A program but their junior B program is consistently one of the best in their ranks and consistently having their players called up to the junior A ranking so there's uh, a lot of lacrosse booming in the Ottawa region and now they're going to be able to see uh, that at the professional level and have a partnership like the Ottawa Senators, it's it's incredible for the league. Uh, and it's also good for the Toronto Rock. Uh, it, it's good for future plans for the league uh, in Montreal. Uh, this is a very interesting proposition, of course, for lacrosse fans from across the country. We've got a couple of minutes here for some penny stocks with John Festinger uh, joining us from Chandler Fogden Lyman. Uh, uh, John, looking at Rob Manfred, he has said that This is going to be his last term. Uh, He'll uh, uh, leave as commissioner of Major League Baseball. There's no doubt in my mind he doesn't leave without giving expansion every opportunity along with the realignment that comes with it. And it sure seems that things are moving uh, to 
create some really viable contenders. News this week that the state of Utah, a legislator there proposing a $900 million contribution to a new Major League Baseball park in partnership with the Larry Miller Company in Salt Lake City. There's a real futures market on Salt Lake. Uh, and, uh, Ryan Smith of the NBA Utah Jazz, he's asking the league for um, uh, a franchise for Salt Lake. Now you've got this uh, uh, Larry Miller uh, Company uh, bid. Uh, in, in my opinion, Salt Lake could be, over the next five years, one of the real hottest growth markets in North America. Well, you know, Rob Manfred probably needs one or two more things done under his stewardship to really be remembered as a great commissioner. Um, he got off to a really rocky start in a great many respects, um, but making the game quicker, I think, was his turning point. Uh, a couple more franchises, how about one in Montreal, um, would, I think, cement his legacy. And commissioners have a thing about wanting their legacy cemented as they approach the end of their careers. But please don't make me look at Rob Banford. <laughs> John, let me ask you this uh, uh, question. We've been talking about the NCAA, uh, the uh, stay that was granted by the Supreme Court uh, of Tennessee and, and, and Virginia on Tennessee, Virginia versus the NCAA. Take us through your crystal ball. How much has to happen here uh, to get this right so that college football can move forward with, with any semblance of structure? Well, I, I college ex- sports in general south of the border. Well, I would expect that the courts are going to proceed fairly quickly. Um, they understand what's at stake, and they understand what's around the corner. I mean, uh, you know, football season, uh, which is a huge thing in in those states in particular, um, is around is, is you know starts up again. Uh, in late August, I believe. So I would expect, and maybe I'm being too optimistic, that we will have a resolution either through settlement or through the courts if necessary, because I think they'll speed up the procedures. So that's my crystal ball. And and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, NCAA tries to elicit support from Congress. They've got to be careful on that because of antitrust uh, exemptions and 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 the like but what a mess this is not just the wild wild west it's the wild wild mess yes and and as you know we've talked about this in a canadian context in terms of sfu uh and what they've done but when you're dealing with the lives of college athletes you have to be thoughtful uh, you have to be sensitive and you have to provide adequate notice. Um, and I expect the U.S. courts will find a way and the U.S. system will find a way to do that because that's the only right humane thing to do. Uh, group of seven, uh, as a penny stock, uh, the four Canadian-based teams that appear to be on a trajectory to qualify for the playoffs. You've got uh, uh, pretty well all of them, except for Winnipeg, who won last night in action tonight on Hockey Night in Canada. Toronto at Colorado, that's quite the matchup. Uh, Austin Matthews in pursuit of 70-goal season. Uh, Cal. 
Edmonton in the Battle of Alberta and Boston-Vancouver, uh, a rivalry ever since 2011. Uh, bottom line is, from a penny stock point of view, these should be solid, solid, above-average Hockey Night in Canada numbers this weekend. Oh, this is this is a great and compelling group of games for Canadians. Um, I don't want to say this is as good as it gets because the first round of the playoffs is as good as it gets, and especially this year will be. But until then, uh, I kind of like the way this weekend's shaping up. It will be an interesting weekend in curling, the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. Uh, uh, we've got also the uh, Canada Rugby Sevens at BC Place in Vancouver. And, of course, that lineup, that Saturday Night Hockey Night in Canada lineup. If you enjoy rating and debating the bulls and bears of sport business as much as we do, you can follow us on X at the Sport Market. That's T-H-E Sport Market. Also, download our podcast at sportsnet.ca slash 650. You've been listening to us rate and debate the bulls and bears of sport business on the Sportsnet Radio Network and the Sport Market Radio Network.